You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everyone. We are coming to you on Wednesday, April 13th with the all new, all different episode 21 of the Comic Book Informer. Now, I know a lot of you out there are probably scratching your heads right now. First of all, if you're new to our show, why the heck are these guys starting off with episode 21? (laughs) And second of all, if you were still subscribed to our old iTunes feed... What the heck is going on here? So (laughs) I'm going to hand over to my trusty sidekick. Well, I guess I can't really call him a sidekick anymore. It's more of an old-fashioned team-up, the the Wolverine to my Spider-Man, if you will. My buddy Roger, my great co-host, and uh, you wanted to say a few things before we started here. Basically, it was just to explain to folks what happened kind of thing, because it's been like damn near four months now since the last episode of um at the time named bow down to us the comics edition and if you're new to the podcast i think it is kind of important to explain why we're starting at 21 and it is in fact because we used to do the other podcast about onto us the the comics edition and we had started with that because we came from another podcast, which some people may not know about, and we kind of grew and we were doing very well. But what happened is that due to some health issues on my part, I simply did not have the time for everything that we had going on. And so what happened is, unfortunately, I had to put everything on hold and I was pretty much under the impression that it would probably be on hold for good. However, after four months and getting into a... Uh, rhythm with my physiotherapy and whatnot and realizing just how much I miss podcasting I decided that it would be good to start off small but because the um, working under our old Baudantas name didn't really fit because we were starting fresh and um, it wasn't going to be as big as before with the game podcast that we had and everything else I felt it made a lot more sense to just go with a new name brand new site and just work off of that as we saw fit. So I picked up the domain for Comic Book Informer, which I'm amazed was not used. I don't know about you, but that just blew my mind that nobody had stolen that domain name. (laughs) So you can find us at comicbookinformer.com. We are putting up reviews on there as well. We've got some features that we've been working on, some news and and whatnot. With uh, the Eisners just announced as well, I know that you're reading some stuff too, Vince, but I've actually been really trying to tackle a lot of the nominees and writing some features or or reviews for those as well so that folks can get a handle on what, what is being nominated this year. And that's pretty much it, actually. So it's going to be the same essential format as what we had before. Same two guys. It's the same podcast, just a different name. Hence why we're starting at 21 and hence why all of the prior episodes are available on the site for everyone to listen to. And I strongly urge you to listen to them, not just because they got me in them, but because I've actually gone back and listened to them and we had a lot of fun. We actually got a lot of really good topics discussed as well and they're worth listening to. Yeah. One more day. Absolutely have to listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> So uh, a big welcome back to our returning fans and a hearty hello to our new legions of devoted followers. It's great to be back. Great to be working with good people again. 
So you were talking about the Eisner nomination. So let's roll into that real quick. Uh, last week, the Will Eisner comic, uh, whatever the heck Industry. the whole name is, Industry Awards announced their nominees for 2011. The Eisners are essentially the Oscars for the comic world. They're handed out every year at San Diego Comic-Con, the premier event in the comic industry. And they're really just the most prestigious award you can win as a comic artist, writer, what have you. And this year was a very interesting list because there's a whole lot of, I don't want to say unknowns, but it seems like there's a lot of new nominees on the list this year. A lot of people I'd never heard of, a lot of people I'd kind of heard of, and there's almost no of the traditional superhero comics out here. Marvel has a grand total of, I think they said three nominations on the entire list and they control a vast majority of the industry. So it's really an interesting shift in the way the, the, the awards are being presented. They're really trying to focus on more of the creator owned comics and the indie stuff than the big stuff. I mean, the big stuff is still good as well, but Hey, it's got the sales. Let's give some recognition to the smaller guys who are churning out some premium content as you've discovered going through here. Well, the thing that I found too, is that, um, it seemed to me this year it was very much about what is what actually were the best stories, what actually were the best comics, and not just which ones sold the most, which ones were the most popular. Because, I mean, you can have a title like Shadowlands, which attracted a lot of attention, and yet after reading the whole thing, would you actually give it the best limited series nod? When compared to some of what they're using now as their what they put as their nominees oh my god no i certainly would not and i mean i really enjoyed shadowlands but it was the popcorn action flick as opposed to a you know really well done drama or whatever and i've been going through the uh, the list of nominees as well which if anybody's interested we've got them on the site um and what i'm doing as well is as we are putting reviews or features or news about them i'm linking them as well so that you can easily get to the reviews we're posting what i'm finding is that again because well we're both the same we love a good story yeah it's great to have you know great popcorn action flick or something but we want something substantial. And as an example, I just finished, I, I wrote a review on The Cape, which is nominated for Best Single Issue, which is based on a book, or short, sorry, a short story by Joe Hill, and it's written by Jason uh, Sheramella, whatever. Anyways, and it blew my mind. It had flown completely under my radar before. I had not even heard about it. And so, but the title kind of drew me in, and I thought, oh, this might be interesting. Blew my mind absolutely in, incredible story so well written the art was phenomenal and i can see why it was nominated and i just literally finished a review of um um, 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 um joe, the, joe barbarian. the barbarian yeah geez you'd think i'd remember after how many times i've typed it out today <laughs> <laughs> but that's an eight part uh mini series and it is nominated for best limited series and it's by grant morrison um as well as the art was done by sean murphy now 
again, we have something here where uh, I'm not going to pretend like all of them are great because I've already read a couple that have me thinking, how in the hell did that make it onto this list? <laughs> but that Joe the Barbarian, again, blew me away. I was, it was so original. It was so very, very well written. And the art was among the best I've ever seen in any comic book. So yeah, the Eisner so far, what I'm seeing so far, I am loving it. As opposed to before where it was, again, the, the big sales, the big, the, what was most popular, and a lot of superhero stuff. Here we're getting tons of, a lot of meat. There's, it's, it's just, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing who's going to be winning, whereas normally I really eh, didn't care quite as much. Yeah, I mean, looking at this list, there is a grand total of one comic on this entire list that I've actually read, that being uh, Morning Glories from Image, uh, written by Nick Spencer. Which you've Great been comic. loving, too. Yes, absolutely. I'm absolutely hooked on that one. And there's a lot here that I've uh, read in the past, stuff like Fables, uh, Lock and Key, but I never continued reading them. Lock and Key was great. I uh, just couldn't keep buying all the books because they were in these nice, expensive hardcovers. <laughs> and, and it's great that now I'm given a really good reason to go check out other stuff I've heard of, stuff like Chew. Stuff like Scalped, which I've just started reading. A lot of these great second-tier titles that are really deserving of more exposure than they're currently receiving. So I'm really glad to see this. I, and like you said, too, we're seeing a lot of indie stuff and a lot of creator-made stuff. And I love that. That's the kind of attention these guys not only need, but actually deserve. I mean, if your story is that good, it should not matter who published you. And that's what's important here. And that's what we're seeing. It, it's it's not about the, the publishing house for any of these nominations. It's about which are the actual best ones for those categories. Well, we'll find out in just a few short months exactly who does win, but be sure to keep checking out the site because until then, we're going to have a lot of uh, interesting reviews and features going up, sp focusing specifically on these titles. So now we're actually going to roll into our discussion for the episode, and it's something that I have been really anticipating since I first heard of it. And I know when I shot the link to you when they first announced it, you were, oh, Jesus. well, <laughs> bouncing up and down <laughs> because it's something both of us have an interest in because who doesn't love a good samurai story? And of course, I'm talking about Marvel's five Ronin miniseries that came out mm -hmm. every week in March. That was a great publishing decision by them. Every week, March's was happened to have five Wednesdays yeah. this month. So they put out the five issue series, one every week. That was freaking awesome. And you know what it did too, is it just kept that momentum rolling is what I found. I, I couldn't wait to get the next one. <laughs> and I know that a lot of people had some problems with it or had some, without sounding demeaning, had some problems quite grasping that style of story. Not everybody has read a lot of samurai stories and whatnot, so they're not always familiar with the pacing and different things like that, which are far different than traditional Western stories that we are more used to. Um, that said, I've read a lot of those, and so I absolutely adored it. And that, that one a week really, like you said, it was such a great decision because it kept that momentum building till the fifth issue where it was like, oh my God, I want it, I want it now. <laughs> Especially the way the story was structured with each issue focusing on an individual character. You know, if you read, say, uh, the Hulk issue, the second one that came out, and then that character didn't show up again until issue five, if there had been three months in between there, you kind of would have had to go back and remember exactly, exactly what was going on. So yeah. the way the story was structured, the way they published it, 
great decisions all around. And then also in the same regard as you're saying, the Hulk showing up later, they did it in such a way that there was a trickle through momentum kind of building as you got further into the issues where they the characters then began crossing paths a little bit more. And it really, you did feel that momentum building very well to that final issue. Mm -hmm. So uh, to give a little background here, uh, Five Ronin is set in early 17th century Japan, what's known as the Edo era. And it takes place right after the famous battle in the entire history of Japan, the battle at Sekigahara, where essentially a huge cultural shift occurred in the nation, where one person, uh, the daimyo, the uh, regional lord, rose up and had gained so much territory that he really became the leader of almost all of Japan. It was a very important era in the formation of modern Japan as we know it. So that's why a lot of the fictional stories going back are told in this era. If you look at a lot of Akira Kurosawa's work, a lot of uh, historical anime, it all takes place in this era of Japan. So of course, it's perfectly fitting for a story like this of Five Ronin taking modern characters and throwing them back into this old era with these new form of storytelling and i absolutely love it it started off with uh wolverine and all the issues are written by peter milligan with art from a different contributor so that they could get it out on time obviously if one artist can throw out uh, five <laughs> issues a month i have yet to meet that guy <laughs> so uh the art for the wolverine issue was handled by tom coker and this just drew me in instantly first of all the art style uh, with with an um, excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> slow down. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> with the individual artists obviously bringing their own unique styles to it, each issue has its own style, and here we get this really just beautiful layout uh, a lot of subdued tones limited use of color but when it is used it has a really dramatic effect there's lots of browns lots of blacks lots of grays but when that splash of blood shows up it's very impactful i loved the way this issue looked and i also loved the story the way they handled wolverine roger i know wolverine is one of your favorite characters because he happens to be a canadian ah. so <laughs> No, what do you think of the way he was handled Awesome here? Canadian is what he is. Um, what I loved about this is, and I think that this is what caused a lot of problems initially. I shouldn't say a lot, but, you know, some people who didn't quite grasp the concept of what this was going to be. And I'm not saying that I knew what it was going to be, but I was far more accepting of, of you know, let's see where this takes us. And... If you went in with that attitude, you realize very fast that don't expect a story of Wolverine in that time period, nor the Hulk or all the, uh, these other people. It's not them. What it is, is they took some of the attributes of each, some some something that is a defining characteristic of each character, and then said, how can we play with that to make it something that would actually fit in that time period? And, I mean, at this point, here we're, we're not really spoiling anything. The issues, the series has been out for a while. So in that first one, his healing factor is not, in fact, a healing factor so much as what they did is enlist many men to look the same, dress the same, behave the same, so that it appeared that when one died, he came back. I love that. That Again, was so cool. You took a concept that, because they're trying to do it in such a way that 
anything that happens here would be possible is is very possible there's no powers here there's no anything and they explain it in such a way as well it's all you know something that is um possible for a person to to be able to do or have and in this case here taking this this unbelievable healing factor they turned it into something that is instead a ploy a, a trick by the 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 people in power and that was awesome and then the thing same thing with the claws which again his other most defining quality uh no no claws instead they're 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 kind of like brass knuckles with claws kind of things that are that's uh, the, the weapon of choice that each of them is trained to use Everything about this was fantastic. And then as this, the, the issue progresses and you, you clue into this because initially you don't know, it's nice to see the conversation between the Wolverines as they're talking and you get to see glimpses of who each is as a man and how they've dealt with this. I thought that the way that this issue was handled, it set up perfectly what we could expect from future issues in terms of, oh, so now the Hulk, how are they going to take his power abilities, things like that, and make them realistic? Same with the Punisher, Psylocke, and, and then Deadpool. So, yeah, I, I thought it was just literally absolutely a brilliant concept and very well written. Yeah. And again, the, with the, the historical aspects, when the daimyo rose to power, all of the smaller local lords were driven out. So you have all these various characters with all their different motivations that do all tie together because with so many people, their lives in chaos in this era, it definitely leans to all these other various characters all having good motivations and good reasons for going after the same goal again with Wolverine, you know, his entire life, his entire being has essentially been destroyed by one man, one assembly. And that's perfect Wolverine. You know, the daimyo can serve as, you know, the story's weapon X Wolverine's driving exactly, force for yeah. everything he does. Yep. That, that one evil, I, you know, organization or, or entity or whatever that he has to try to, to get to the same, the same degree of mystery about it all too. They again, they they were able to tie so much of the character and his origins to this, and and did it all very well in just the one issue. Absolutely amazing. So moving on to the second issue, this one focused on the Hulk, a character that at first you wouldn't think would fit into a feudal era Japanese story. This issue had art by Dalibor Talajik, and I severely apologize to him for brutalizing that name. (laughs) But this one was great. I mean, it was so perfect, again, for the character. Put him in this situation, a former warrior, a beast on the battlefield who is now looking for a life of solitude and tranquility, which is perfectly suited to the Bruce Banner Hulk character. When he's on the battlefield, he's the Hulk. When he's in his temple, he wants to just be Bruce. He just wants to be left alone, which is probably one of the second most uh, uttered lines that Hulk has ever said, second to Hulk smash. (laughs) And we had a great setup in this issue, a very... uh, Seven Samurai story here where the village had to go look for help to defend themselves from the bandits. And again, it was absolutely perfect for me. Yeah, it's again, you by this time, 
you're used to you well you can you have a, an idea of what to expect kind of thing so when they're approaching him on the uh, on his mountain it's it's funny because you can watch him that the, the that anger building slowly in him, that controlled anger, and then trying to calm himself again. And it was very, very much a Bruce Banner moment. And, and it was, I love those. I thought, again, it stayed true to the character while still working completely in that era. It, it just, it worked. And of course, uh, come the end of the issue when he loses all composure and hulks out, if you will, Man, that scene was freaking awesome. The flames in the background, him slashing dudes apart. I loved the action in this issue as well. Yeah, because so many of the the panels up until the the big battles are very muted tones. You have very soft yellows and greens and things like that. And when he is getting angered on his hill, you can see the the colors rising with the sun that's coming up because he's been meditating all night. And then when he's on, he's helping them. Then it's again you got the nice muted colors. But then as soon as that fight begins and the fire comes out, it's the 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 Whoever did the colors for this issue should be commended, not just the artist, but the coloring did a great job in in stirring your emotions just with the use of colors in the right places. And I mean, even when you've got fire all around and yet you're seeing those splashes of bright, bright red as he's fighting, it's it's visceral and it just really gets the blood pumping. And I mean, for an issue to be able to do this, any comic, they did their job. So quick shout out, the colors in this issue were actually handled by Lee Lawfridge. So very, very, yeah, that that was this. It's those subtle visual clues that you really don't notice until you read through it a second or maybe yeah. a third time that really stand out. And yeah, I can't say anything better about this issue than you just did. <laughs> so we're going to move on to the third issue, focusing on the Punisher, which Definitely, I think was my favorite, actually. It was mine as well. Yeah. <laughs> Art in this one by uh, Lawrence Campbell. And it's at first you wouldn't think he's a character that would fit very well into the setting in really? the comics. Well, because the Punisher is such a modern hero, you know, with with the, the guns and, you know, all of his crazy armory. Just at first, it didn't seem like it would be a very easy fit into this scenario. But of course you replace the gun with a katana and in this era they had, you know, early blasting powder and flintlock weapons. So he can still shoot people every now and then. And I, I was really surprised with this one. I loved the tone of this issue with uh, the hero coming home and finding everything he knew destroyed again, straight out of Frank Castle's origin, just moved over here and just going on this quest for vengeance. And when you think back to the old samurai tales, a lot of them did focus around this theme of the, the, the lone samurai going after everybody who has ever wronged him, the, the, the vengeance and his quest to restore the honor that he feels is lost. And the way this one plays out, uh, it just seemed like the most realistic of all of them to me with the really dark artwork, very fitting for the Punisher. I even loved the way they handled his outfit. It was very reminiscent of the traditional Punisher outfit with the little buttons really looking like the skulls that he, wore, he wears across his chest. This one, again, it surprised me. I wasn't expecting this one to be the best of the bunch, and I agree with you. It was probably my favorite. I See, I thought right from the get-go before I even read it that it would probably be the best fit for 
what they were trying to accomplish here because you didn't have to try to work into the story any kind of uh, special abilities or or any anything like that it was basically a again the samurai coming home a ronin at this point and having lost everything and going on a crusade for vengeance and so that that's a timeless type of story it doesn't you don't have to worry about a healing factor or hulking out or anything like that and so i think that you could it's the one issue of all of them that anybody could pick up without reading any of the other ones and it makes perfect sense in and of itself it, it's mm-hmm. a, it can stand alone on the strength of its own uh, story writing and so i again it it, it just fits so beautifully and and being a, a huge fan of the lone wolf and cub series as well basically take out the cub portion and you've got this man and again the the story writing throughout was fantastic very authentic to what the characters would say think do everything just as brutal and then when you tack on the art that was Oh my God, the the art was astounding. If you are a fan of samurai stories, you will appreciate this art. And again, the coloring, when you've got scenes like when he kills one of them and the entire panel is just red with Mm -hmm. them in shadowed color and yet you still see the blood also on the blade coming out all of these things it was as again a standalone issue as well as part of the whole it was without my doubt the without a doubt my favorite and i i think this is stands as a good middle point to the story because it allows you to flash back to wolverine and how on the surface, both of these characters have very similar motivations. Their lives have been ruined. They're looking for revenge. But the way they handle it and the way their characters react to the situations are vastly different. Wolverine is content to just go on his way. And if you get in his way, he's definitely going to cut you down. But he has the singular goal in mind, whereas the Punisher character he just wants to take down the entire system from the bottom up. Every single person that ever looked at him wrong is in danger. And how Wolverine, he doesn't want to throw away his life needlessly before he accomplishes his goal. Whereas Punisher has really accepted that when you go into battle, you have to go into battle ready to die or you're not going to be an effective warrior. I, think, I thought it was a great contrast comparing those two characters and those two issues. Yeah, because it's very much the same type of story, like you're saying. However, even though he has lost more, the Punisher character, obviously having lost his family, um, he is much more of the traditional samurai as opposed to the Wolverine character. So there's a lot more of the honor in everything that he does with that strong vengeance in the background as well being the ultimate goal but the manner in which he handles it is again very honorable and yet still absolutely brutal yeah i honestly i can't say any more than that if if you've even considered the 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 entire series but not too sure you want to plunk down the money for all five issues at minimum i would suggest buying that one and there's absolutely no reason why you can't enjoy it in and of itself Yeah, just good luck finding the uh, variant cover. Dude, don't even get me started about that. (laughs) I Actually, I was going to mention it before, but seeing as you brought it up, I've got all but the first one with variant covers. I've got variant covers for the the Hulk one, the Punisher one, the Psylocke, and the Deadpool. I don't have the Wolverine. And I've checked all over, and it is 
eating away at my soul. <laughs> so if any of our listeners have one they want to get rid of for a reasonable, and I, I, I must echo that reasonable amount or know where I can get one, send me an email at roger at comicbookinformer.com. I'm not joking. I God, I want it so bad. <laughs> well, anyways, we can move on now. <laughs> are, you, are you sure? Yes. Do, do you need a moment? <laughs> and now we return to our regular program. All right. So we're going to move on to the fourth issue. This one focusing on Psylocke. Uh, art in this issue was handled by Goran Parlov. And artistically, this was a huge shift from the previous issues. This one was very vibrant with lots of clean lines, didn't have the shadows. But of course, it fit with the story. Unfortunately, this was probably my least favorite of the issues, simply because for me, it almost became as much of a Wolverine issue as it did a Psylocke issue when the two crossed paths. Just the Psylocke character here seemed a little lost, kind of without purpose to me. And really, it's just the way I felt about it. I, I was expecting a completely different take on the character. So maybe that has a lot to do with it. I wasn't expecting her to be the, you know, the, uh, the prostitute type. I was thinking more of like, you know, a ninja type character, more in fitting with her portrayal and Marvel. So I don't know. This one just didn't work for me on the level that the other ones did. I, I disagree in terms of the, um, her drive because I think that that's all that's in there is her drive and the reason for her drive. I I think that that's, I don't think that there's enough to the character because that's all it is. But even taking that into consideration, it still fits. It, It fits that that would be the only thing that's important to her in terms of her being a prostitute versus being something else. Looking at the times, looking at the the cultural um, shift at that period and whatnot, I think that it's fair to say that that's what would happen. That's what you would have to do, especially when you look at how she has mapped out the only way that she could get to the daimyo. Then it makes sense that this is what she would do. I think she comes by it a little too easily, but we don't have enough of the backstory that would perhaps portray the hard times where she had to get used to this lifestyle. Um, so that's that's the only weakness that I see is that maybe you could use a few more flashbacks. And yes, I agree that there's far too much Wolverine in this, but I think it's also because by this point, they were starting to mingle more so that it was, you were seeing more of the characters by the fifth. It wasn't just all of a sudden everybody shows up. Yeah, I'm not saying that it doesn't fit. It definitely does. I just I had something completely different built up in my head. So when I was reading through it, it was a clash for me. And it, it, it is in keeping with the character. Psylocke, you know, has always had, you know, the soul of a warrior, but the body of a frail woman. So it fits. I'm not saying this was bad by any stretch. Just of the five, it was my least favorite. But I I like a lot of the things that they did. I love the way that they handled her mixed heritage uh, with her mother being Japanese, her father being British, because if you've even tried to make sense out of Psylocke's normal continuity, there's a lot of shenanigans going on there. She's a British woman living inside a Japanese woman's body. (laughs) (laughs) So they, they, they did a good job, again, translating the character. It's really what bothered me was that there was so much Wolverine and so little Psylocke comparative to how the characters were handled in the previous issues. I would have liked to have seen more of her story and yes, have her interact with Wolverine, but it was a bit too much for me. Again, didn't hate it, 
just on a scale of one to ten, this one's a seven, whereas the other ones are nines. Let's just say that. Yeah, I'm actually counting here. Yeah, we've got like well over a dozen pages with her and Wolverine versus the other ones where it's very much about that character. So no, you, you're right. The, like I was saying to the, I thought there was far too much, but looking at the issue again, yeah, there is far too much between the two of them. So moving on to the final issue, the climax of the story here drawn by Leandro Fernandez, we have the Deadpool issue. Now, I'm going to let you take lead on this one because traditionally you hate Deadpool. So I would like to hear you talk good about an issue involving the character. <laughs> well, it, it was well done. Again, we've got a culmination where we are seeing some of the other characters in there. Um, we see Psylocke very early on in this one as well, where she has an opportunity, but then it's taken away from her to kill the daimyo. Um, and then you've got the, the Deadpool character showing up very early and he's shown up throughout the series so by now you know him and i liked how they they you immediately know that he is a brutal warrior and then when when they are doing the flashbacks and explaining again the as with all the other characters okay well how are they going to put all of the the traits the uh the deadpool traits into this character so that it makes sense and it does i didn't think quite as much as the others but it does and then you have that madness that is in the character that in other deadpool series i find somewhat annoying sometimes <laughs> but here it really works again you've got a man who has lost some of his mind it still retains some of the memories but then lets them go very easily because they're too painful and just goes on being the fool and I like how they tied in the characters as well in the end to give some measure of resolution to all of them, even though in, in some instances it's not a perfect resolution because they would have liked to have been the one to to actually take down um, uh, the Demio. But here it's, it's again, it's an acceptance of, okay, well, we're done, now what? But the character of Deadpool, I I really liked it. I thought it was, it was very well handled. I... I don't know, not much more to say than that. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I will say this is the second best rendition of Deadpool's character I've read in recent years. The first being over in Uncanny X-Force. And what what I like here is you have that traditional Deadpool issue of how much of this is his actual mental instability and how much of it is the act he's putting on. Because that's been a, a lot of thing with Deadpool. He acts a lot crazier than he actually is to throw off his enemies, to... to to make himself seem like less of a threat. I mean, how much of his foolish act was an act going up against Wolverine, somebody who would have been a definite contender to be able to face off against him in a battle? You know, he completely demolished the daimyo, but Wolverine would have been much fiercer competition. So really how much of that was an act and how much of it was his actual instability? Again, it's pure conjecture because after however many years Deadpool has been out, we still don't know the full breadth of that little uh, problem. But I thought it came across well. I liked the story. And I liked that, again, we saw Deadpool show up, at least in the first three issues. So he was kind of the, the thread that tied the whole story together from beginning to end. So it was fitting that he be the one to finally take down the villain and then have the other characters 
tie into his story. I thought it was handled well. I would have liked to have seen a little better resolution for some of the characters, uh, mostly Hulk and Psylocke, again, just because Psylocke got so little development in her issue. I would have liked to have seen at least a more fitting ending instead of just, oh, she's right back where she was. What's she going to do? And just with all the characters and all the various stories they were telling, it couldn't be one single cohesive ending. Um, Some were great. Uh, Punisher walking off into the sunset to go continue his crusade. Absolutely perfect. Wolverine looking for somebody new to take his aggression out on. It is all fitting in with the characters, and it was a great ending to an absolutely fascinating story. I think that uh, it, it was also great because, like, when you're talking about, well, it wasn't always the best resolution for the characters, but I think in looking at the the story, unless they would have, unless he would have screwed up the writing and made it so that they all arrived together and they yeah. all fought up together, kind of thing, and it would have been far too cliche. Then they all would have gotten their 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 hit in so that they could feel good about it. But I think when you look at it in terms of not everybody can do that. There has to be one person who takes them down, and then the rest it's anticlimactic. They've worked their entire lives, well, not their entire lives, but many many years towards this 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 hunt, and in the end they can't they, there's nothing they can do it's been done for them and so there's it's not going to be a sense of relief rather than you know all that energy spent on this hunt is now got nowhere else to go so i thought it was very well handled in that regard yeah i i, I was just like everybody else expecting the big climactic battle and i was much happier that they went this way because now it puts all the characters into a certain mindset for Next year's five Ronin two, maybe, please. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of having a full resolution, you still have a good end to the story while really giving it room to grow in the future if they want to. And I really hope they do because I would love to see this not as a regular thing because that would pretty much play itself out pretty quickly. Um in the video I made for Five Ronin Issue 1, I compared it to Marvel's 1602 storyline that they did, uh, written by Neil Gaiman. And it was very similar to this, taking the characters and putting them into the setting, but it didn't approach it the same way, where it just went all out in your face. Hey, this is Spider-Man. Hey, these are the X-Men. And tried too hard to make them similar to their modern counterparts instead of fitting them seamlessly into the story. And they published a lot of those things, uh, a lot of side stories, sequels, what have you, and then it disappeared. You, 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 you haven't heard of it in years. So I think if Marvel could take this concept and give us five issues a year, I would be happy with that. Just build upon the story, make it a cool little event for the fans, because obviously it, it's selling reasonably well if – there's no Wolverine variant covers left in <laughs> North America. <laughs> so I, I hope it did well enough for Marvel to consider picking it up again in the future. And I really do feel sorry for the fans who just didn't get it. I mean, obviously not everybody's going to be into these samurai type stories, but if you are even remotely interested in it, if you liked, let's say kill bill or hey, if you liked the magnificent seven <laughs> with Steve McQueen, you might be interested in this story, and it's definitely one worth at least checking out. As Roger said, with the exception of probably the last one, you can pick up any issue and enjoy it on its own. So start from the beginning, start from the middle. I'm highly recommending it, and so far, it's probably the best thing I've read this year. 
I think that on top of that, just to say one final thing, I think that it also has the potential to open people's eyes to a different style of comic as well, too. And with any luck, maybe some people after reading this, if they were not fans of samurai comics before, now may suddenly find that they're interested in picking up something like that to see something along the same style and whatnot. If that is the case, I would strongly, strongly recommend you check out the Lone Wolf and Cub series. Start from the beginning, work your way through and you will not be disappointed and also uh frank ronan's mill or frank ronan geez frank miller's yeah, ronan yeah was, was is another fantastic one that's really taking the sam it's the exact opposite here it's taking the traditional samurai story and setting it into a sci-fi future so it takes the entire thing throws it on its head and it still manages to be fantastic and then for good times after watch some samurai jack on the tube Oh, yes. Dude, absolutely. Doesn't get much better. <laughs> <laughs> they should have had like a little jack in the background somewhere. That yeah. would be great. Man, now, now I got to watch some Samurai Jack after this. <laughs> so in addition to Five Ronin, we've obviously been reading some comics recently. And it's been a while since we've told our fans what we've been reading. So what I want to really talk about, and this ties into our Eisner thing, is I've really been driving to read a lot of non-superhero comics lately. Don't get me wrong. I still love Avengers. I still love Spider-Man. Yes, I still love Thor. (laughs) But uh, there's, like we said, there's been this huge shift within the industry towards indie stuff, uh, creator-owned stuff. And just there's been a lot of really good non-superhero stories coming out lately. Uh, We mentioned Morning Glories earlier. I love Morning Glories. It takes um, these kids who still we don't know that much about why they're connected and puts them into this boarding school from hell. There's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, lost references in there. You could tell that the story structure was really influenced by the first season of lost, at least with the flashbacks and the mysteries. But at least this time around, only eight issues in, we're already starting to get some answers to the questions instead of just more questions to the questions. I've really been loving it. The art is fantastic. The characters are interesting and it's just bizarre. <laughs> I want to keep reading this just for the simple fact of I want to know what the heck is going on at this point. In addition to it being well written, it has really grabbed a hold of me. Uh, aside from that, we have Who is Jake Ellis, which I was actually just reading yesterday or maybe it was earlier today that they've extended it beyond its original run. I'm very happy about that. It's a uh, It's a super spy sort of thing, kind of a Jason Bourne sort of story where the main character has an imaginary friend (laughs) and Jake is kind of his own being. He feeds John the information. So it's great. The first scene of the comic, you see John talking with these arms dealers and, you know, everything goes to hell and he escapes by the skin of his teeth. And then they replay the scene again, this time with Jake standing over his shoulder. And you realize the entire time he wasn't talking to the arms dealers. He was talking to Jake and Jake was feeding him all the information for how he needed to get out of the situation alive. It was really cool. And right there, six pages into the comic, again, it grabbed a hold of me. It was something unique. There's no guys running around in their underwear. Nobody shooting laser beams out of their eyes. It was something different, and that's really what I've been looking for lately. And then just the last one here, uh, Zombie from DC. So far, well, Vertigo's version of DC. They're they're non-core universe stories. A lot of that stuff is creator-owned, and that's really where a lot of DC's Eisner nominees have come from. It's been from the Vertigo line. 
And this is actually a throwback to an old comic from the 90s. And instead of trying to reinvent itself, it just starts off right in the middle. I never read any of the originals, but it didn't matter because I got it going in. And it's just this weird, again, supernatural sci-fi mix, lots of crazy stuff going on. And I just loved it. I Don't get me wrong. I'm not leaving superhero comics ever. I still want to see Spider-Man and Wolverine going around getting into their shenanigans. Speaking of which, Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine is still awesome. <laughs> but Although I'm it's really... gotten a little bizarre. I mean, it was bizarre to start with. Really? It has, I don't want to say <laughs> jump the shark yet, but uh, they're close. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 a fun comic. It doesn't have to be a good comic if it's that entertaining. It still has to be decent. It has to be well written. But it doesn't have to be something on par with, say, Five Ronin to be an entertaining comic. And that's what Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine has been. Fun, if not top quality, amazing, go down in history writing. But again, just a lot of non-superhero stuff I've really been enjoying lately. And it's a lot of stuff I'm going to be talking about going forward in future podcasts and articles on the website. So what about you, Raj? I actually, I have some of the superhero stuff because I've been getting uh, caught up on a lot of Batman stuff to, to begin with. Um, I've Again, Batman was one of the comics that I used to read back in the day. So 25 years ago, I was collecting the Batman series and I loved them. So it's nice to kind of remind myself of that. And I've been reading a lot of those classic storylines from back then. Uh, I've also been reading the uh, the one shots as well, the old uh, Dark Knight Returns and the, uh, the Killing Joke, which it's very interesting reading them now in my 40s, as opposed to back when I was a kid. So you, you read a lot more between the lines, which is great. I mean, you can really appreciate the writing in the Killing Joke a, a lot more as an adult than you can obviously as a child and again you can appreciate it more as a parent as well when you're dealing with commissioner gordon and barbara and what's going on there you can deal with that a lot better as a parent and under understand a lot of what's going on and see things that you don't when you're just a kid reading it i've also been reading batman beyond of course who doesn't um although i was pretty disappointed in the last issue i'm going to be reviewing that as well for the site but i was pretty disappointed because they're concentrating too much on a side character versus Batman and different setups for what's been going on with Batman Inc. now in the con so that it makes sense continu continuity wise. So issue four was basically just setup kind of stuff and and cor course correction I think is the term you used as well kind of thing because of mm -hmm. Batman Inc. And so I really didn't enjoy it. Up until then, man, loving it and I'm hoping it'll get better. I'm disappointed that they changed artists because I'm really not digging the new artists. I loved the original one. Now I don't have the names handy but anyways, I loved the artist for the first three issues and then they changed them so I wasn't too happy about that. I've also been reading X-23. I God, I really want to love it. I want to enjoy it, but last few issues, well, I shouldn't say last few issues. This series, I haven't been loving it nearly as much as I did the miniseries, and it's getting to the point now where I'm, I mean, I'm really not digging it that much anymore, and especially because they're trying to tie it in with Dokken as well, which whew, I've got uh. little to no use for Dokken and what's going on there. I mean, they, they're making a big deal out of, well, will the two characters X-23 and Doc can ever meet and are they ever going to fight and things like that and building it up like it's going to be this epic battle between the two and really the fight kind of putters out <laughs> in the last X-23 and it's supposed to continue in Dokken which I haven't that one's not out yet and 
it's really just a ploy to get people to read any comics that have snicked in it somewhere. <laughs> I didn't the, the this epic quote unquote your your imaginary quotes uh, battle between the th- the two was a joke. I didn't like it. I mean. I've I've been reading as well for the eyes. There's different things, and just to look at, say, Joe the Barbarian. Here's this story about this this kid who is going into diabetic shock and is having hallucinations as he tries to get from his room in the attic down to the kitchen to just get a soda so he can have some sugar to 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 get out of shock because he's going to die. He's alone in the house, and the hallucinations are blending in the house they're blending in characters that he's imagined real people he knows as well as his toys everything into this these hallucinations and there's this, these epic fights in there like i mean the battles that you get in joe the barbarian towards the end where all of these toys and everything are involved and then the very end where he and his pet rat who is an actual character in his hallucinations and the rat is fighting the resurrected his fallen resurrected brothers who died in battle and they're fighting for this king death and you get these awesome incredible battles and you're thinking guys you know really marjorie lou read something else other than just superhero battles and get the concept of what an epic battle actually can be because what's being presented in x23 and docking is i'm sorry to say comes off as a just a joke something to brush off when you're looking again the power of joe the barbarian the power in the cape oh my god the cake was a cape was awesome and then the walking dead and where oh. it has gone it's not a spoiler anymore folks things have gone bad <laughs> You thought they were not going. You thought Rick was having a bad day. Oh my God! No, no, no. If he doesn't go crazy, and I'll bleep that out, I don't know what will cause him to lose it. Because if it's not this, then I don't know what will. Like again, there's a review of The Walking Dead. In fact, there's a review and a vidcast from you on the site that people can read for the last issue of The Walking Dead. But here we have. A series, an ongoing series that every month has had us on the edge of our seats. And this one made us fall off the seat. It was that good. So when you're comparing that to a lot of the superhero fare that we've got right now, there's absolutely no comparison. Yeah. I At, at the end of that last issue of Walking Dead, I actually said, holy crap, out loud. Oh, I was the only person in the room. Yeah. <laughs> No, I did the same. I didn't say holy crap. I, I was a little bit more vulgar. But well, yeah, no, it, it it was literally a a shock to the system. Like I'm the same way when I I watch TV. I you know there's some people who are constantly analyzing a show as they're watching it to a mystery or whatever and trying to figure it out and then sometimes they spoil it for you too by letting you know. My wife's bad for that. But I'm the type of person that I will let myself be sucked in and part of that is because well, I write I write fiction. I want people to be sucked into what I write. So I try to afford that same consideration to other writers. So I allow myself to get sucked in. I don't overanalyze. I just enjoy where it's taking me. And I've done that with The Walking Dead since the beginning. And if there's any series more than any other right now that has a potential to take your soul, squeeze it in front of you so you can see your life force dripping from it, and then stop it, throw it on the ground and stomp on it, that's The Walking Dead. 
Seriously, Kirkman hates us. Okay? <laughs> he is trying to destroy us by doing that the same to Rick. And that last issue was just literally blew me away. It just, it, it was a shock to the system when I got to that two-page spread. And you know what I'm talking about. When you get there, if you are not just point-blank lose your breath, then you haven't allowed yourself to actually become a part of this series. It's funny when I was making the video for that, YouTube randomly selects a frame to use as <laughs> the, 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 the image for the video. And of course, it randomly selected that. So I was like, crap, crap, change it, change yeah. it, go in there, change it to something else. <laughs> People are going to murder me if that oh, went up. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So as usual, we're going to wrap up with our recommended re releases for today. And I've got an interesting list here. Uh, actually, a pretty good balance between Marvel and DC. Uh, Marvel, of course, outranks it for my recommendations, but not by as large of a margin as usual. Uh, Batman and Robin, number 22. I've had a lot of unkind things to say about Batman recently, but if you enjoyed Green Lantern Corps over the last couple years, this is the same creative team behind it, and this is only their third issue, and I'm already really enjoying it. Uh, Flash, issue 10. Justice League Generations Lost, number 23. Thunder Agents, number 6. Bah. I'm still enjoying it. I'm still enjoying it. Hey, the guy that wrote that is nominated for an Eisner. That's yeah, but that I'm doesn't saying. mean nothing about this series. That has no bearing on this. All right. We have Amazing Spider-Man, number 658. Dude, I'm digging where they're going with the new suit and everything. Just, yeah. just to shoot that in there, really digging it. Uh, Incredible Hulks, 626. Iron Man 2.0, number three. Still waiting for that one to get get going. Uh, three issues in, this is pretty much the break point for me. Either grab me or go away. We have Journey into Mystery, number 622. What uh, this is, is the Thor run uh, returning to the title it used 40-plus uh, years ago. Who cares? Where... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> And the story is going to focus on the supporting cast while Thor is relaunched into his own Mighty Thor coming up in a couple weeks. Honestly, I can't say whether this one's going to be good or not. Uh, I like How about the I say? I'll say it's going to be crap. You don't matter. You don't matter. I do. <laughs> the writer, I Kieran matter. Gillen, has been doing a lot of good stuff lately. And I'm, I'm hopeful <laughs> for it, at least. We have New Avengers number 11. We have Ultimate Avengers versus New Ultimates number three, which, which ties into the next one, Spider -Man. Ultimate Spider-Man number 157. And rounding out, we have Uncanny X-Force number seven, Uncanny X-Men number 535, and X-Men Legacy number 247, chapter five of the fantastic Age of X storyline. Before I go to the last one, you got anything to talk about there, Raj? Nope. No, I'm good. Okay. Oh, so you're really going to talk about all. Oh, do we yes, care? I am. Jeez, yes, we, we care because I'm going to be writing like 50 articles. You care. <laughs> we have the Thor by Walter Simonson omnibus that came out this past or this week. And Walt Simonson is the Thor writer. Every comic character has his best known writer, Chris Claremont for the X-Men, for example. So for Thor, it is Walt Simonson. These are the comics I grew up reading as a kid when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old, took my allowance to the comic book shop to buy some cheap back issues. This is what I bought. So this is a huge slice of me growing up all put together into one freaking tome. This is 47 issues 
bound into a massive hardcover. And yes, it's $125. I initially wasn't going to buy it. Until I found it on Amazon for seventy-three bucks, it's That's still there else now. Wants it. Shut up! It's on sale. This is seventy-three dollars <laughs> for over a thousand pages of comics. I can't wait for this thing to thump down onto my coffee table because I will devour it, and I'm going to be writing articles just so that Roger has to read through them and edit them. <laughs> also recommended, Archie and Jughead. Also on sale. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And uh, we're going to wrap up there. We ran a little long this episode, but hey, we're back. We wanted to have a good time. We'll be back probably to our, our more normal running time next week. So until then, check us out at comicbookinformer.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CB Informer. Check us out on iTunes again. We love reviews and we love our fans. So we will be back, I promise, next week. What the hell is that clicking? That's me turning the volume down on my headset. What is it, an old rotary phone that you converted? <laughs> no, it just has these big <laughs> buttons on the side. Wow. <laughs> Seriously, it sounded like you were calling back to 1955. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my girlfriend sent me a freaking message. Uh, and I'm sorry, but you're more important than her. <laughs> er. The well, other way around. Yeah. <laughs> That's going in the outtakes, dude. Edit that out. <laughs> That's okay. Just get a listen. I'm sorry. <laughs> Roger, you really are my true love. Yeah. All outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used to saying Roger. It's going to be new. And Roger. Oh, <laughs> I'll roll that R, okay. You're listening to the Comic Book Informer podcast with Vince and Raj. Raj. Roger. Yeah? Okay. Raj. Er. <laughs> That's what it's gonna be. <laughs> A podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic nukes. You put K in. Nukes. That's how it's gonna say. <laughs> comic nerds and comic nukes. I don't know that term. New. You must be a noob. You know who you are. I got really good at that line last time. You know who you are. <laughs> Super weird. Ridiculously weird. I'm not good at these games. <laughs>